Good evening, everybody. My name is Tyler Mashore. I am a current sophomore political science major with a history minor at Adelphi University. I am recording this podcast for Professor Gray's Race and Politics course, in which for a second project, I am supposed to be talking about the disproportionate effect the coronavirus has had on various minority groups and races, as well as the cost of intersectionality. So a little preface before uh, I start. Uh, bear with me. This is my first time recording any form of podcast or any form of media. I just wanted to preface that and a little nervous. <laughs> so bear with me. So first off, I kind of want to set the stage. Um, so originally, towards the beginning of the pandemic, the, the World Health Organization has essentially found out that roughly 332,000 people have been diagnosed with the COVID, uh, the coronavirus across 190 countries across the globe. And that was from COVID-19 and detention, respecting human rights. I'll have all these in the bibliography as well. So um, at that specific point in time, over uh, 12,000 have died. And as for the United States, we have currently, well, at the time of this source, have 35,000 infected with over 473 dead. 14 months later, in today's world, roughly May 1st, 2021, Worldometers puts the current cases at 522. No, pardon me, 152 million and 3 million deaths. As for the USA, we're always, you always have that number one attitude. And so it's no shock to, shocker that we're leading the pack with over three, uh, 33 million cases and over, well, almost 600,000 dead, according to World Domitus as well. Which, uh, to put that in perspective, that's more than the state of Wyoming. I know, um, no offense to any Wyoming people out there, but uh, just imagine an entire state off the planet which is essentially ridiculous. So um, um, time for a more serious topic. Uh, I, I honestly would like to pay respect to all those who have passed. If anybody is listening has lost a family to the coronavirus, uh, my heart goes out to you as well. I am lucky enough to never have had a bear witness to that, but just to let you know, we have people and resources that can help you. So um, back to the United States as well. Uh, our, st- our country's COVID-19 response has been criticized by various public figures as well as on social media accounts, specifically, uh, most notably when the president himself has become infected with the COVID virus last year. Um, the Guardian puts forth various different like tweets, such as um, one from George Conway, in which he says he failed to protect this country. He failed to protect the country. He couldn't even protect himself. Um, on a more comedic note, Tracy the Business Goose, well, that's their name on Twitter, has stated, uh, have you tried injecting any disinfectants yet? Which is clearly calling back to his comment in April of last year in which he suggested the possibility of an injection of disinfectant into a person infected with the virus to try and cure them in a sense. And that was from NBC News. As for a focal point in this podcast, I wanted to talk about a topic that is quite popular or infamous in American politics, and that is the topic of racism. Specifically, racism against various minority groups such as African Americans, Native Americans, and Asian Americans. Racism against these various minority groups, specifically in regard to the COVID-19 pandemic. Native Americans have always faced some form of marginalization ever since the sheer conception of our nation. And if you don't believe me, look up the Trail of Tears or the Carlisle School. The COVID-19 pandemic has in many ways shed light on the various forms of racism that the Native American population must deal with on a daily basis. In June of 2020, the Navajo Navajo region had the highest rate of infection in the country. Furthermore, Native people make up only one-tenth of New Mexico's population, but more than 55% of its COVID cases. In Wyoming, Native American and Alaskan Indian 
are less than 3% of the state population, but make up for more than one-third of its cases. Alaskan Indian and Native American people suffer higher rates of diseases, which make them more vulnerable to the pandemic. This is mainly due to the fact that their health care is significantly limited among several infrastructure issues. Poor sanitation, limited provisions of other necessary items like soap, disinfectant, even clean water in a sense. Inadequately staffed medical facilities, combined with existing poverty, large multi-general families living together, unemployment, reduced chances to retain work at home, exasperate by the problems of Alaskan Indian and Native American peoples, and that is from state crime, Native Americans and COVID-19 by Laura Finley. Lack of testing in these areas also apply in areas where Alaskan Indian and Native American live, or there's also a lack of education on infectious diseases or other preventative measures such as masks or gloves. Now, some people may just think, oh, this is unfortunate, but how does this come back to racism? Well, it all dates back to colonialism and the negligence of the federal government. Ever since the colonists had come to this country, they had repeatedly forced out the numerous Native American tribes that had once populated the East Coast. This process was repeated several times. At first, it was slight removal. However, after several times over the course of various decades, these Native American tribes now occupy various parts of the Midwest and the West Coast. This repeated removal prevented them from essentially gaining their bearings in a specific location, essentially preventing them from establishing the necessary infrastructure needed to thrive. Now, let me pose you this situation. Let us say you're living in New York, happy as can be. And one day, the government tells you, you have to move to Indiana, two states over. And, and if you protest, they'll send your children to boarding schools to be re-educated, and they'll send you to prison. Great. Of course, you have to reluctantly agree and move over two states to, uh, to Indiana. However, two years later, the government comes back again and forces you to move two states over again, this time to Iowa. This happens every two years for the next decade. Now answer, and now answer me this. Do you believe that you're able to progress every time you move to a new nation, new, a new state? My apologies. This is essentially what happened to the, native, the natives. Every time they're forced to move, they're essentially forced back at square one in terms, of pro, in terms of progressing and establishing the necessary infrastructure, like the infrastructure needed to combat a deadly pandemic, like the COVID-19 pandemic. It was through the gross negligence of our forefathers and the federal government that led to a significant number of deaths within the Native American community. As for the next minority group I wanted to speak about, the African-American community, who has suffered greatly from institutionalized racism for centuries. In recent day, there is a growing outcry against this institutionalized racism within the nation, with the spark to ignite this fire for change being the senseless killing of various African-American citizens, such as George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. These senseless killings are most definitely the result of institutionalized racism and goes to show the ineptitude of various police officers across the nation. However, I wanted to focus on the connection between the COVID-19 pandemic, the African-American population, and the prison industrial complex. The prison industrial complex, as Merriam-Webster puts it, is the profit-driven relationship between the government, the private industries that build, manage, supply, and service prisons, as well as the related groups, such as prison industry unions and lobbyists. These groups are regarded as the cause for increasing incarceration rates, especially of poor people, minorities, for often non-violent crimes. Essentially, the government is working with these private companies who build and fund the prisons, and in exchange for funding from these private companies, the government supplies the prisons with workers, many of whom are minorities, poor, and often commit non-violent crimes. 
The theory gained more momentum when examining the form of legal slavery within our nation, specifically within Article 13 of the United States Constitution, in which it states, and I quote, Neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as a punishment for a crime, whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, shall exist within the United States, or any place subject to their jurisdiction. What this essentially is saying is that if a person is convicted of a crime, and in most cases sent to prison, they can be forced to serve against their will within these prisons, and to a further extent, the private companies that fund these various prisons. Now to circle back to the topic of racism and COVID-19, it is in these prisons where we see how dangerous COVID really is. With the prison industrial complex resulting in mass incarceration of minorities, specifically African Americans, we are first-handedly seeing the negligence of the federal government. Many of these prisons are facing particular challenges in controlling the spread of highly infectious pathogens like COVID-19, such as crowded dormitories, shared laboratories, limited medical and isolation resources, daily entry and exit of staff members and visitors, continual introduction of newly incarcerated or detained persons, and this is cited from Do Prisoners' Lives Matter? This combined with just simple overcrowding creates the ideal environment for an uh, infectious Sorry. This combined with the simple overcrowding creates the ideal environment for infectious pathogens such as COVID-19 to spread unabated. With many lawmakers and public officials not focusing on the state and prisons, many of the inmates have resorted to drastic measures to make their cries heard. Specifically in in St. Louis, inmates had rioted and set up signs as a cry for help. In the popular video, many of them... them Many of them are seen holding signs, requesting aid, and wearing masks that are made out of t-shirts. The, the impact of COVID-19 on African Americans is significantly increased when examining the concept of intersectionality. This term was coined in 1989 by Professor Kimberly Crenshaw, and is used how to describe how race, gender, economic standing, and other personal characteristics intersect with one another to create a more serious problem, essentially twofolding. The prison industrial complex and its connection to the COVID-19 pandemic intersects with the concept of weathering, specifically in the African-American community. Weathering focuses on of early health deteriorating among black and racial differences in health are evident among all socioeconomic levels, and that is from weathering and age patterns. Furthermore, the reason behind this early health deterioration is a result of, quote, repeated experience with social or economic adversity and political marginalization. Furthermore, on a, psycholog- on a psychological level, persistent, high-effort coping with acute chronic stressors can have a profound effect on health, and that is also from the same source. In essence, what this is trying to say is that the existence of various societal and political issues happening within our nation can cause monumental stress and speed up the aging process, specifically in African Americans. Now, for my own personal take, I completely agree with the existence of this concept. I can never imagine myself having to deal with the daily stress that African Americans have to face in the daily. Walking out my door and fearing that I could get pulled over and not make it home is honestly mortifying, and I would essentially not wish it on my worst enemy. Also, I cannot imagine just seeing members of my race being gunned down or murdered senselessly on a daily basis. I can never, I, I cannot try to emphasize in a sense. I can always try. I, you understand what I'm trying to say in a sense. It's something that I can't picture, and I, frankly, I don't want to believe that it's happening, but I can definitely tell that it's going on. And if you don't believe me, I want you to research the connection between aging and PTSD, specifically in men and veterans. You hear the, um, the 
true, not tried and true, but the uh, overused example of the vet coming back from Vietnam and having PTSD or being shell shocked or, or the various other terms, and they leave at twenty years old. They come back. They look forty, even though they spent only five six years there. That is probably the most applicable example and most comparable example to what African Americans have to deal with on a daily basis. Now on to the third minority group I wanted to speak about today, and that is Asian Americans. There is no doubt Asian Americans have suffered greatly as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. However, I do not want to speak about the virus's literal impact in regards of death toll and infection, but I do want to speak about the significant urge and anti-Asian sentiment across the United States during the early months of the pandemic and even now. During the early stage of the pandemic, back when we thought this entire ordeal would only take a few weeks to sort out, the general public had become knowledgeable on how the virus had originated from China, specifically from Wuhan. The specific origin of the virus, however, was quite muddled. Some sources say it was a result of a wet market. Others say it was a bioweapon engineered by the communists to wipe out the United States to a single person who quote-unquote prepared bat soup and got the whole ball rolling. It was later confirmed that the virus had originated from a wet market, which are essentially like our farmer's markets, except there's also live animals that you could slaughter on demand, in a sense. Also, these wet markets have a selection of rare animals, including snakes, beavers, porcupines, and even baby crocodiles, as among, among other not listed here. And that is from National Geographic. Despite the origin of the virus being confirmed as a result of a wet market, it did little to soothe the increasing anti-Asian sentiment that was brewing, brewing within the nation. Various news sources reinforced the existence of this racist sentiment. NBC News specifically cites a 169% surge in anti-Asian hate crimes, as well as New York, my own home state, having an increase of 223%, which is mortifying. According to this analysis, the New York City had the sharpest increase, rising from 13 hate crimes in the first quarter of 2020 to 42 in the same period of this year, a 20, uh, 223% jump, as I previously mentioned. San Francisco, another city with a significantly large Asian American population, also had a surge from 5 to 12 hate crimes, a 140% increase. And then Boston and Los Angeles, also known for their predominantly Asian American populations, had a rise of 60 and 80% respectively. This increase is too uniform to throughout the nation just to consider it the result of a bad state or just a bad population. It reinforces the general spike of hatred against Asian Americans across the, the nation, across the whole board, in a sense. What makes the whole situation worse is that this hate is essentially being legitimized through the rhetoric of our own president, in which he refers to the coronavirus as the China virus or the Kung flu which is disgusting and puts the target on the backs of many Asian Americans. Just, getting a, just get a load of the various hate crimes within the past few months, of, uh, according to the BBC. An 84-year-old woman, a Thai immigrant in San Francisco, California, had died last month after being violently shoved to the ground during her morning walk. In Oklahoma, a, a 91-year-old senior citizen was shoved to the pavement from behind. In Brooklyn, New York, an 89-year-old Chinese woman was slapped and set in fire by two people in New York, in Brooklyn. A stranger in the New York subway slashed a 61-year-old Filipino-American passenger's face with a box cutter, and many more, which I'll include in the master document submitted with this assignment. The entire ordeal, the fact that people leave their home and have to mentally and emotionally prepare themselves to possibly not come back or get shoved on the train tracks because the president had 
irresponsibly made a joke about how the virus is the kung flu is in all honesty and uh, my apologies for being somewhat blunt it's fucking disgusting and i i hope that this fixes um, fixes soon and remedies itself the coronavirus pandemic has significantly impacted the world and i can argue that in some facets it will never be the same as it was before I hope we can use these exhausting two years as a learning experience to try and better prepare ourselves for a future pandemic, but as well as a reminder that racism is still found in our nation and that it's just as dangerous as any pandemic. Thank you very much. So um, the podcast is over. I feel as if I went over every point that I would like to, and this is kind of just for um, Professor Gray. I, I thank you for bearing with me and providing me the opportunity to go a different route instead of just writing another essay. Um, I believe this assignment was really fun, and I would hope to continue possibly even making podcasts in the future, not just for class as well, but um, just for my own personal enjoyment. Uh, thank you very much. I'm going to finish up the document that has everything outlined, which, uh, which is essentially just a master document providing all the sources and essentially the script and the basic ideas I wanted to cover. Um, thank you very much, and have a good weekend. Thank you very much.